0: The last 12 years have been absolutely unbearable. A day hasn't passed by I didn't want to die. Oh, Jehovah, this sickness is more than I can bear. What have I done to deserve this? Just to have a moment to go out and have coffee with friends, not the fear of touching someone. Those awful physicians, or should I call them crooks? They've taken all my money and left me worse off than I was before and the looks, those awful looks. I wish for a moment those self-righteous individuals could experience my life. They wouldn't last a week without committing suicide, much less 12 years. You said in Psalms 147.3, you would heal my broken heart and bind up my wounds. I know my faith has weakened over the last 12 years, and I have absolutely lost the joy of my salvation. But I know this, this cannot be my end. Some good news today, I met a man who had a shriveled hand. He told me about an encounter he had with this man called Jesus, how he completely cured him just by touching him. I know our leaders called him a liar and a fake, but at this stage I'm wondering who the fakers really are. Tomorrow I'm trying to get an audience with him. They told me that he was very kind and accepting. Early the next morning, I went to town to see if I could meet with Jesus. When I got there, it was too late. He was already surrounded by a huge crowd. All of a sudden, Jairus, one of the leaders of the synagogue, came to bow down before Jesus. There is no way he would have done this unless Jesus is the real Son of God. It was then and there I decided, I'm going to touch him or die trying. I pushed and I pushed, just to get past the people. It was the most painful thing I have ever experienced. I found myself in reach of him. And with everything I had, I leaped forward and touched the hem of his garment. What happened next was indescribable. Power surged through my body. And at that moment, the bleeding stopped. Strength came into my body. Years of suffering were over. Years of embarrassment, over. Years of isolation and loneliness, over. Blessed be the one and glory to the King. Jesus is the Savior of the world.
1: Come on, that's powerful. I don't even need to preach now. This was amazing. So look at your neighbor and say, Look at your neighbor and say, You got issues. Oh, come on, say it a little better than that. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, You got issues. Yeah, come on. We're talking about the woman with the issue of blood. And I have loved this series because for me, I think so often when we think about scripture, we treat, you know, scripture almost like the Avengers. You know, we've got these characters, you know, they've got this great story, and they've got this great movement, and it stirs our emotions, but we don't take it as history. But you got to know, like, we're in this series the way I saw it, and there was really a centurion soldier. He really did have this moment where he came to Jesus and said, speak a word, and my servant will be healed. There really was a woman who was at a well, and she had all this shame in her life, and she had this interaction with the Messiah, and her life was forever changed, And tonight we're talking about this woman with the issue of blood. And our key verse tonight as we enter in is going to be Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34. So if you've got your Bibles, if you've got digital Bibles, or if you've got the analog, you can flip to it. I miss my old Bible tabs from back in the day. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34. And it says this, when Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around them. Well, he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and he said this, and he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around to the crowd and said, who touched me? You see, the people were crowding against you, the disciples answered, and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing that she, what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear and told the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be f- freed from your suffering. Jesus, I thank you for the great love that you have for this room. God, I thank you that you care about suffering, God. That you are not the God that is distant and far from us, but rather you are the God that is approachable, God. That you are the one who is not scared to be approached by people who are unclean, who don't necessarily have all their things together. Jesus, I thank you that you have your spirit in this room right now. And God, I pray that you would give wisdom and revelation in this room that we might lift your name high. In the great name of Jesus. Amen. So Jesus has this moment where he enters this city. He's come across the sea, he's actually gone across the uh, Sea of Galilee. And beforehand, the reason the crowd is so excited is because legend of Jesus has hit. His PR is going off the charts. You know, people aren't just, you know, looking at his Instagram feed. They're actually liking his pictures. Like, like, you know, like he has people following him on a regular basis. He has gained this popularity, and he's made this city his home base because his friends, Peter and Matthew, have their homes there. And so Jesus starts moving along through the crowd, and the miraculous starts happening. Lepers start getting healed. People who have had diseases for decades are getting healed. People who have had demonic possessions are being healed. And so, legend has happened about Jesus, and the whole town is excited about this new Messiah figure who's come on the sea. And so, sure enough, like Jesus says, hey, let's go across, over across the sea. We have some more ministry to do here, and then we'll come back. And so, Jesus sails across the Sea of Galilee, gets over there, and ends up casting a thousand demons out of one guy. His name, he called himself Legion, which is super creepy. And so and like, and he, the, this legion of individuals ends up looking over and says, hey, you know, throw us into these pigs. And Miss Jamie was actually just in Israel. And she was talking about the fact that near the Sea of Galilee is this one cliff. And you can identify it. And you can know that this is most likely the spot where these pigs just launch freefall into the ocean. And so Jesus ends up having this miraculous moment. It freaks up the people. It's like, hey, let's go ahead and back. And you got to know the Sea of Galilee is kind of a small sea. It's about eight miles across, about 13 miles long. And so if you're coming and you get about a half a mile to a mile out, people can see you. And so on the edge of the so- shore over at Capernaum, people start saying, they say, hey, Jesus is coming. Hey, 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 go get your cousin. He's got that weird, crazy, lazy eyes. Like, you need to go get him healed. Like, like there's this moment where things are starting to get stirred up. And as and, and soon as Jesus enters into the shore, expectation is there. There's an expectation for the miraculous. And so Jesus is walking around. He's rebuking his disciples. He's having this great moment. And he enters into the city. They're hanging out at a house. And next thing he knows, he hears this cry out, Jesus, Jesus. And he's looking around. He's like, I know that voice. And it's Jairus. Jairus runs up, lays down his feet and says, please, come see my daughter. She is about to be dead. But if you lay your hands on her, sure enough, she will get well. Jesus wasn't only popular during that time. He was actually getting a level of unpopularity as well. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are looking at him and saying, he casts out demons by the devil. He's not really anointed. He's he's just trying to distract the people. And this is one of these leaders. And rather than pushing Jesus away, because, I mean, they always talk about, like, hey, shake off the haters. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, hey, let's go ahead. Let's go to your home. And so the whole crowd starts moving in a direction saying, wow, we're going to see the miraculous. We might see somebody get raised from the dead. And so during this whole timeline, there's another story going at the same moment, though. Over about 30 miles away, there is this woman and who, for the past 12 years, she has had a disease, a disease in her body, and things have not been well. She's gone to multiple doctors, she's tried out all the di- different Roman medicines, and nothing is working. Have you ever been in that situation? You look up. You're trying thing after thing after thing. You're like, I invested in Bitcoin. That doesn't work. Like, like I, I've tried doing this. I bought that stock. It was Enron. I don't know what to do. And so, like, all these things are failing for her. And she's trying all the different remedies. She's trying all the natural things. She's like, I signed up for Kiani, and it didn't work. I got the doTERRA oils. I don't know what to do with it. Like, I've got all these things. And nothing is working for me. And, and actually, when we look at the Roman methodology, they were at the prime of medical professionals. Like, what they would do, like, if you really wanted to be healed if you want to get the best doctor what you do you stand over this pit this is real you stand over this pit and you would start a fire and then on that fire you would end up having a, and you and then you say the saying some wine and you would hold that wine and then you'd have another herb and then you'd pour it over and then you say the saying, and you were supposed to get healed I don't know if you, but if anybody ever recommends, like, a medical facility that you stand over a pit of fire, like, that's not going to work. And so, like, this lady has tried out the best of the best of the best, and everything's failing for her. And so, sure enough, like, she comes at this moment. She says, you know what? I've lived my life in shame. Because you and I, like, is there anybody? Raise your hand if you're Jewish in this room. I don't see anybody. No, no, we're all Gentiles. Like, hey, we got somebody who's Jewish back there. That's what I'm talking about. My man over there. Come on. God's people were inducted into his covenant. Come on. And so, like like the rest of us, we don't know what it's like to be ceremoniously unclean. We don't have a context for that. This woman would be ceremoniously unclean. And part of the reason they did that was because during that ancient time, if you have one person who has disease, who's putting hands on everybody, everybody in that whole town ends up getting sick. God was smart enough to know, like, hey, in temple worship, we can't have people who have diseases and uncleanliness. But what would cause this woman, she would get ostracized think about it. She's missing birthday parties. She's missing all the famous ceremonies. And that which would make her Jewish in the first place has been ripped from her because of a disease. And not for one year, not for two years, but for 12 years. But she heard about this man. She heard about somebody. And she said, you know what? I'm not going to go ahead And go about life as normal. I'm going to try one more thing. I have nothing else to lose. I've lost all my money. I've lost all my hope in Rome. I've tried the best of the best of the best. And what I heard is like, yeah, I'm unclean. But I heard this guy ends up touching lepers and they get healed. And if Jesus is willing to go ahead and touch lepers, maybe he's willing to touch me. And so she goes ahead and she goes on this journey. And not just a short journey. 30 miles. 30 miles walking with a disease, stumbling along, changing out cloths, going on over and over and over, thinking, you know what, if I just get to Jesus, like I've heard the stories, and from what I understand, like this is not just a simple Savior, like, like this one has the answer. And I know what I'll do is I'll ask, because I heard other people I had asked before. They asked, and Jesus was willing, and so I know that Jesus is probably willing to put his hands on me And so she walks the 30 miles, and this is where this timeline collides. She probably walks up on this party before Jairus ends up having this whole interaction. She probably had a lot of spite towards Jairus. Like, he just walks into the crowd, does whatever he wants to. Like, I've been walking for 30 miles. And so, like, she's outside this party, and she looks, and she's like, how am I supposed to get to Jesus? How can I do it? I, I don't know how. How am I supposed to get my moment to have somebody lay their hands on me? I had an expectation in my mind about what God could do for me. But this is just one more failure. All my expectations for my redemption have failed me. And she's looking at the crowd saying, there's no way. But at this point, like, you, you, you end up saying, you know what? I've made it this far. I've gone this far, and it's do or die. And so the crowd starts shifting, and she knows this is her moment. They start walking towards this man named Jairus' house, and they're walking along, and she starts breaking through the crowd. She starts moving through people. She's trying to slip through. She knows that these individuals don't know her, so they don't know about her uncleanliness. Have you ever thought about the implications of that? Jesus is on the way to go pray for somebody else's healing. Jesus is a rabbi. What happens if Jesus gets made unclean? This is not a post-covenant situation. If Jesus is ceremoniously unclean, what if Jairus' daughter can't get healed because this woman who's unclean touches him? And what about all the other people in the crowd? She's touching all of them, making it that they can't go. And we know this is a life or death situation. And she is risking it all, pushing through the crowd, touching the individuals. She says in her heart, if I just touch the edge of his robe, then, then I believe. I've got faith that he has enough authority and power inside of him that even just the garment that he wears has power in it. And so she reaches through, and in this one moment, she reaches out and she grabs just the end. And can you imagine the moment that the disease in her body was so powerful that she felt it stop? I've never had a disease like that. Like I've had colds where I'm like, okay, I'm a little sniffly. But I believe. God, i got faith. Like I've had those moments. But what is it like to have a disease that's perpetually pouring out of your body? And in one moment, it stops. And then you have this moment of absolute transformation inside of you. That had to be so powerful. She's trying to take it all in. It's surreal for her. And Matthew actually records that she doesn't merely touch the robe. She actually touches the garment. And he makes a real big point because when Mark records this, he just says the clothes, but he makes sure that he says the hem of the garment. Miss Jamie made this mention earlier at the earlier service. She said, like, when we think about the hem of the garment, again, we don't know much about Jewish ceremony. We don't know about prayer shawls. We don't know about uh, things like ephods. We don't know any of this. Like when David has this moment where he's in the cave and he cuts the corner of the robe, like, you and I are like, man, like, David ended up macing up, like, Saul's cool robe. That's horrible. We don't know what that means. Like, but what that was, was this is a connection to authority. It mentioned that this, this shawl represented the law and the connection of the law. David is making this claim that not only do you not have authority, you have been robbed of your authority because you're in opposition to God. That's why he says and he repents beforehand that I've touched God's anointed and maybe I should step away from this. What happens here is Matthew's recording this because he knows that when a rabbi would raise his hands up, this would represent wings. And it was common in Jewish folklore to talk about the wings of the rabbi. And he knew that there was this passage in Malachi that mentioned that the Messiah would end up having, as Malachi 4.2 says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, the Messiah, shall rise with healing in his wings. Like, for Matthew, this was not just some moment or some like powerful testimony. This is like, hey, this is confirmation that this is our Messiah, What power, like, like, this is the moment that this woman not only has her victory, but is a testimony, like, like, this is the one who was supposed to come, guys. And, like, she is daydreaming in this moment, and before she can actually, like, have her moment, she ends up hearing, who touched me? Oh, no. You know she tried to sneak out. She's like, I'm just going to sneak in. I'm going to tap that robe and roll. Like, that's like, like that was her plan. Like, she didn't want, she didn't need to have the testimony. She didn't need anybody to see her. She has this moment. She says, You know what? If I just just touch the robe, it'll be okay. And Jesus says, Who touched me? Because he felt power coming out from him. It's this powerful moment where Jesus wants to make sure that there's this monumental moment is not merely set passing by, but is brought forward so that you and I can know, for one, that God heals, but number two, that he's Messiah. So, but what would, if we were in the shoes, because the whole purpose of this whole sermon series is the way that I saw it. So, if this woman was here and she was saying, like, like, hey, you know, if she was like on TV camera, you know, it's like CNN, like, so what happened to you? Well, I was walking through a crowd and it was amazing. And what advice would you give individuals who were walking through the situation? I would say this. And this advice, I think one of the things that she would say, is, say to us is that there is a man. There is a man. That out of all the things that I've run to in the past, I exhausted every single thing that the natural realm had for me. I went to the best experts, I went to the best historians, I went to the best individuals, I went to the best counselors. They couldn't help my depression, they couldn't help my drug addiction, they couldn't help my alcohol addiction, they couldn't help my bad attitude, they couldn't help my daddy issues, they couldn't help the fact of my finances, they couldn't help any of those things, but therefore there was a man, and you might look at me and say like, hey, Pastor Sean, I I." not don't know if you understand. You you don't understand my situation. You don't don't know what it's like to deal with same-sex attraction. Where like, hey, the fact that you have an addiction to pornography is almost acceptable in our culture, but the fact that somebody has same-sex attraction, that's ostracized. You don't know what that's like. You don't know what it's like to grow up without a father where everything within my psyche has been misaligned because I haven't had a good identifier with the father. And I would tell you like, like, hey, I don't know. I do not know. I don't know what it's like to go for 12 years going through life, being ostracized by my church and my community. I don't know what it's like to look over the side and watch those family members from a distance and be able to say, one day, hopefully, and then lose hope. I don't know what it's like to walk through 30 miles of pain and suffering to end up at disappointment. I don't know what it's like to grind past that, but I know a man. I know a man who who spoke and merely said a word and there was a, a Roman soldier who had a healing in his servant's body. I know a man who told everything of a woman's life and claimed to be the Messiah and a whole town was changed. And I know a man who didn't have to approach a woman for healing, but rather she reached out to her Messiah and she saw a change. I know a man. I think the second thing that would be brought up that she would tell you is press through until you touch Jesus. Press through until you touch Jesus. Um, there's this great theologian named Jamie McCain. She said this the morning, and she said, come on. She said this quote, and it wrecked me. She said, history does not qu- uh, record quitters. It never does. You don't have any heroes. You said, yeah, he never did anything in his life. It was awesome. Like, like we've never had anything. Like like the people who we look up and say, like, hey, if that guy can do it, I'm way cooler than that guy. If he can do it, then I can do it. And and there's this list of individuals, like people that you might know who didn't give up. Like like I you know there's that song that's like by journey, like, Don't stop believing. Like that's got a horrible context. But like in this case, like it works. But but like Elvis was told to give up and become a truck driver. Van Gogh only sold one painting in a lifetime to a friend. Like, you die. You've sold one painting. That's not successful. Like, 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 he failed miserably. Jack London's first book was rejected by publishers over 600 times. Sony creator Akio Morota, um, first invention, the rice maker, burned rice and only sold a hundred of those. Uh, Sochichiro Honda, uh, Honda, there we go. Honda was turned down from a job by Toyota, leaving him unemployed for months until he started making scooters in his garage. Colonel Sanders. In his late 60s had his recipe turned down over a thousand times before his franchise took off Winston churchill never lost uh, never lost no, not never, lost every single election until he got to the point of being prime minister. He's quoted saying this, he says, never give in, never give in, never, never, never in nothing. Michael Jackson didn't make his high school, ba- Michael Jordan I should, Michael Jackson didn't make his basketball team either. Michael Jordan didn't make his high school basketball team because he was too short. Einstein didn't talk until he was four or read till he was seven. Fred Astaire was told he can't sing, can't act, and it can only dance a little. I can dance a little. Harrison Ford was told that he didn't have what it takes to be star. 27 publishers rejected Dr. Seuss's first book and Walt Disney was fired because he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Even Walt Disney was told to let it go. Like like, these are the people who we have seen in our life who we said, you know what? The world has gotten a hold of it. They've realized that like, hey, I can't stop when I come to an impact. I've got to press through. I've got to keep on pressing. And I bet if these individuals pressed a little further, they would get the revelation that I don't need to merely press through. I need to press through to Jesus. Some of my favorite series are the Medea series. Anyone like Medea? Come on, raise your hand if you like Medea. Come on, if y'all. No, I see some people out there like, hallelujah. Like, like, I love it. The plays are better than the movies, but we won't talk about all that. Tyler Perry is a very popular uh, writer, screen director, but he wasn't always popular. In the beginning, he actually had a horrible childhood. He was both physically and emotionally abused. He ended up being sexually abused. He was kicked out of his high school. Amongst all this tragedy, he attempted suicide two times, but he continued to press through. And eventually he had his big break, his moment, his moment of hope. He had a very similar testimony to this woman who said, you know what, I know there has been a lot of situations, a lot of things that have been disappointing, but I heard about something, and she got her hopes up. Have you ever had that, like where you get your hopes up? only to potentially face disappointment, like, I don't know if I can hope again. I think my hope is broken. You know, like, like that's, and he gets to this moment, and in 1992, he wrote and produced and starred in his first theater production, I Know I've Been Changed. And I would love to tell you that it became wildly successful. said this, that he put all of his savings, and it lasted just one weekend, and only 30 people came to watch it what do you do in that moment? You press through. You keep on pumping. Six years later... Perry finally broke through when on the seventh run, the seventh run, like six runs, misery, number seven because we're spiritual and seven matters. Like like on the seventh run, the show became a success. He's since gone on to be a successful career as a director, a writer, an actor, and even Forbes says that he is one of the highest paid men in entertainment as of 2011. It's a little old. I didn't have much material on it, but, but he's quoted saying this, and on the slide you're going to see this next moment, he makes this statement. He says, it doesn't matter if a million people tell you what you can't do or if 10 million people tell you no if you get one yes from God that's all you need that's all you need so press through again don't merely press through for the sake of saying I'm pressing but press through to Jesus and this third point if we were talking with this woman with the issue of blood is that your miracle strengthens the faith of others your miracle strengthens the faith, faith of others. Mark 5, verses 30-34, through 34, we mentioned those earlier, said, At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? His disciples respond, you see the people are crowding against you, and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told the whole truth. She said to her, he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now think about this. You're going along, and like they are excited. Like I know we're in church. And so you think that every single spiritual thing is I'm walking with the Lord. And it's like, all in Latin. Like that's not, like, this is the thing. Like, like we're Americans, so sometimes we're a little reserved. That's why I love my Brazilians. I love my Brazilians because every single thing with a Brazilian is a party. Like, I, like hey, hey, guys, you want to go to Walmart? Like, yeah, let's go to Walmart. Like, we are going to Walmart. We are going to Walmart. Like, and that's what's happening is, like, these guys are excited because God is about to do something miraculous. They know that Jesus is going to knock it out of the water. So I'm sure there's, like, musicians there, and they're playing tambour. Marines, and they're gone, and we're gonna see somebody raised from the dead, we're gonna see somebody raised from the dead, and they're going along, and then in the middle of their party, they hear Jesus say, hey, somebody touched me, Peter, it has to be Peter, Peter looks up and says, says what, somebody touched you? Everybody touches you. Everybody touches us. We're angry. We tried to go on a meal without you. We got finally in a boat. We almost died because of the storm and everything else. Everybody's touching you. Why do you care that somebody is touching you? He's like, no, 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 no. Somebody touched me. And you ought to be pausing in this moment. You ought to think to yourself, why does Jesus do this? Like when we study theology, we are studying the understanding of who God is. Theos, God, ology, the study of. So what can we learn about Jesus in this moment? I would argue this. I don't think that Jesus didn't know. Jesus seems, God in his nature, seems to love a response. He loves people to step forward. He loves people to come out from the crowd and not merely be silent and play in the back, but rather he loves to have people step forward because he uses it to his advantage. And in the middle of this moment, Jesus says, who touched me? And out of the crowd comes this woman. And this woman says, it was me. And now, by the by side, the thing that we thought, forgot about is Jairus is there. And Jairus has just gotten the bad news from one of his friends. Hey, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher. Jesus looks over at Jairus and says, only Believe. What was the power that caused Jairus to be able to only believe? I would argue this moment where what seemed like an accidental interaction, what seemed like it wasn't sovereignty, that which seemed like it wasn't planned out by God, God had a movement and a moment. And I would argue this, is that oftentimes the intersection of somebody else's problem and your victory will provide faith for somebody to take that next step. You being able to say like, hey, why am I going through this misery? Why am I going through this struggle? Why is it God, like I've walked in righteousness. I've obeyed your law. I would say there are these intersection points that life, Life is not always about you. Life often has these moments that God knows that he's working all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes, who love him. God ends up using this moment supernaturally so that then this faith moment, this healing moment ends up causing faith inside of Gyrus, starts causing change inside of Gyrus. And I would say this, that oftentimes in your life you'll have these moments where you can either speak up and step forward because God is saying, who had a power moment? And too often we sit out silent. And what we've done is we've robbed people of an opportunity to build their faith. What selfishness. Like, guys, if you don't testify, how can they know? How can they know? I actually had this moment, one of my small group members, I get this text message. I'm shopping. I'm over at Burlington Coat Factory because I'm a discount shopper. Come on. I'm walking through the crowds. I get this text message. I pull it up. I'm like, why are people texting me on my day off? I look up and it says, I think I'm healed. And I know this person. So I called them. I was like, you can't just text your small group pastor and say, I'm healed. Like, you can't, you can't just do that. You need to let me know what happened. She's like, well, I was scared. I said, why are you scared? Well, what happened was two weeks beforehand, I got this phone call. I got first a text message, which was passive aggressive, which anybody who leads small groups knows what that's like. Like, I got this text message, and sure enough, I called this person, and they spoke to me, and they said, I'm not coming to small group tonight. I said, why are you not coming to a small group? She's like, because I'm never going to get better. This is never going to get fixed. I'm never going to be able to see a victory in this. I'm going to become the old single cat lady for the rest of my life. I'm convinced of it. Like, I'm just, I'm hurting. I have pain. I don't know what to do anymore, and I'm tired of it. I'm not coming to a small group. I said, well, let me tell you this. I, I can't force you to small group. I can recommend that you come, and I can't force you into small group. But let me tell you this, and I had a prophetic word for her. I said, right now you're feeling exposed. And what God is doing is that he has pulled back the bandages and he is cleaning out the wounds and he's putting his salve of his Holy Spirit on it. And so the reason that you're feeling tender and insecure right now is not because God has negative for you, but rather he has good. He wants to bring about healing if you're willing to take it. I said, and I would, I would recommend that you come till she shows up. She has an attitude. Be wise. She's like, well, I'm probably not coming. I said, that's good. I still love you. Sure enough, she still shows up. She has an attitude the whole time, but she shows up. And that's when I end up getting this text message two weeks later. She said, I went to bed after a small group that Tuesday night. And I woke up the next morning and I had peace. And I, I was worried. Because I, I, I had dealt with it for so long, I didn't know necessarily if it was true. And I didn't want to disappoint God. And so she said, I waited. And I waited two days and three days and four days. And now it's been a week. And I know that I'm healed. I know that I've got a victory. I know I don't have this in my life anymore. I know I finally had it. And I didn't think God did this. Like I'd heard other individuals have great testimony. I've heard of the leper. I've heard of the person at the well. I've heard about the people who had the demonized things. I've heard about it, but I didn't have my own testimony. But now I believe. Should I tell anybody about it? I was like, you don't let the devil take one more opportunity for you to be able to glorify God in your life. you got to testify. And for you and me, if we're willing to plow through, if we're willing to be able to meet that man, if we're willing to press through into Jesus, if we're willing then when we get there and reach out for anything with a desperation, a a constant persisting pressure, if we're willing to press in and get a victory and then testify, we'll cause changes in lives. We'll end up seeing victory. We'll start seeing revival. And I would stir you up to say, let's not merely stay silent in the moment where God has an opportunity for you to be able to see the way that you saw it. So tonight, as you stand across the room, as we end, I want to be able to encourage you in these three different areas. And I think there are a few mixes of individuals who are in this room, and you may be in any one of these three categories. For you, you might be the individual that says, like, hey, I don't I don't necessarily know if I've met the man. And yeah, maybe I have a relationship with Jesus, but... I know that he's dealt with unclean people before, but I don't know if he'll deal with this type of uncleanliness. Maybe you're in this room and you say, like, hey, Pastor Sean, like, I've been pressing. And I don't know necessarily if I can press one more time. Or maybe you're in this room and you say, I know that I've got a testimony, but I know that my, my life has been such a contradiction. And I don't know if I'm necessarily allowed to testify in this room anymore. And so if you're in this room, I want this to be a safe place. And I'd ask for you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want this to be a safe moment for you because I think so often so much of my life is exposed and it's hard for me to be bold. And so in this room, while we have every eye closed and every head bowed, I'd ask you, if you're part of that first category and you say, you know what, I have a relationship with Jesus but I don't know necessarily if, if I know if I can walk to him. I don't know if he can cover my shame. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor Sean, please pray for me right now, I'd ask for you to raise your hand right now. Come on, I need you to be bold right now. If you're in this room, I see that hand. Very good. You can put that down. Anybody else? I see your hand over there. I see that. Hands coming up across the room. I see that. You can put that down. I see in the back as well. Right now, man, hands across the room. Go ahead and put that. I see that hand over there as well, man. Thank you for your boldness. That's powerful. Anybody else? In this room, you say, you know what? I don't necessarily know if I can approach the Savior. Very good. I'll let you guys put your hands down. If you're in that second category, and you say, you know what? I just, I, my hoper's broken. I'm worn out. Like, like, hey, like, she may have been able to walk 30 miles. I don't know necessarily if I can walk 30 more. And you say right now, in this moment, God, I need your strength And I need somebody to encourage me in prayer. If you're in this room and you're a little worn out, raise your hand right now. A lot of the same hands, a lot of people are all worn out. Come on, it's spring break. I see hands across the room. You can put those down. I see that hand there. I see your boldness, man. Thank you so much. Put your hand down. Go ahead. Anybody else in this room, you say, hey, I'm just a little worn out. I just need God's grace right now. You want me to pray for you? Very good. And if you're in that last area, you say, you know what, I've got so much shame and I know that I have a testimony, but I'm just a little scared to give it. And you're in this room. You say, I need to testify. Raise your hand right now. I see that. That's good. Come on. You're you're stepping out in boldness. These are the beginning areas. Come on. This is how it starts. Good job. I see that. You can put your hands down. So right now, I'm going to pray for you. And what I need you in this moment is I need you to not merely go about life as normal, but I need you to be willing to press through. Because I can pray all day. I can have testimonies from Jesus, but if you don't press into God, it's going to be worth nothing. So right now I'm going to pray for you. God, I thank you for the men and women in this room. God, I pray that right now they would first have a wisdom and a revelation of your love for them. God, that you would start pouring out in waves of mercy over top of them just your love right now. God, I pray that you would start stirring up prophetic visions in their mind to be able to know whose they are. God, that they would connect with this testimony, these these historical moments of where God, you've been faithful. God, I pray that you would stir that up inside of them. God, for the weary ones in this room, the ones who who were bold enough to raise their hands. God, I pray that you would start pouring out, refreshing, that you would stir them upright, remind them of the things that you've been faithful with in the past. God, I pray that you would stir them up right now. And God, for that last category that said, I'm not necessarily bold enough to be able to take that next step and testify about Jesus. God, I pray not only for a supernatural strength to wash over them, but God, more so an opportunity to testify of your goodness. God, I pray that you would lift them up and strengthen their bones. And God, as you've promised us, that when we step before an individual or a group, that you would give us words. God, I pray that you would give them words in advance. In the great name of Jesus.
2: And Father, we ask you that, that as we move into this week, that we wouldn't have just heard another sermon. But we would be impacted through the eyes of a woman who had something about her that couldn't quit. And, Lord, where we've quit on callings and dreams, where we've quit on faith areas, and where we've quit on relationships, Lord, that there would be this supernatural stamina that comes from you. Hope would arise, as Pastor Sean prayed, Lord, that we would come to that place where you are the king of our lives. You are the man that we've all been looking for. And, Jesus, I ask you that you would seal this word in our heart, not as just a good sermon, but as a, as a mark of where we want to move towards as a strategic forward thinking faith march in our hearts. Thank you for the great testimonies of so many, but Lord God, we want to be remembered. Quitters aren't remembered. Their grandkids don't talk about how great they were. Lord, we want to overcome those things that seem to be the great obstacles of our life. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh with power. I rebuke passivity. I rebuke fear. Fear what people think. Fear of failure so we won't even try again. Lord, you're calling forth men and women in this hour. There's a great work to be done. The harvest is plentiful. The labor pains have already started. God, we must of men and women rise up in this hour who call upon your name. So Lord, I pray for a tenacity. I thank you for the supernatural flowing through us. Miracles on top of miracles. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen.